Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Dell challenges the status quo, questions everything, and empowers you to return to your core beliefs to make your life better. If you're ready to hear the truth and get your roadmap to the lifestyle you really want, the next hour will change your life. And now your host, self-made millionaire, national award-winning investor of the year, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Dell Wamsley. My address, if you want to contact me, is askdell at l-u-i-n-c dot com. Today, my friends, we want to discuss housing and housing costs and what we're seeing in the industry out there. It's interesting because last week, you know, the topic, the big topic was inflation. It, the Fed had just come out and announced it had the highest inflation since 19, or I'm sorry, 2008. Um, being the highest since 2008, you have to ask yourself what's going to happen. Now, when we get into this, you have to understand that there are the facts as they sit today, which I'll share with you the facts as they sit today. And then there is the fact that we have a government issue that can do anything it wants. You've got the Fed on one hand can do whatever it wants, and then you've got the legislature on the other hand that can do whatever it wants. And who knows what they will do in response to where all this is sitting right now. So there's really no exact answer you could come up with as to what's going to happen. What you can do is look at what is happening, and you can predict short-term But you can't predict either long-term or very long-term because you just don't know what either the government will do or the Fed will do, right? So we look at this right now and say, what's going on? Well, we'll start with the 5.4% inflation. That's a lot. And for those of you as old as I am, remember back in Jimmy Carter years, it actually got up to as high as 12% at one time. It got to the point where you couldn't afford anything. The dollar was worth almost nothing. And if we're going down that road right now, if we're heading that direction, then all bets are off as to what can actually happen, what could actually be the value of anything that you would go out there and buy, including investment properties, as far as their asset value. That is why I got into the business back when the Great Recession hit 1987. And um, But it, when we got into that recession there and interest rates were very, very high and inflation, stagflation was going rat, rampant. All of a sudden, they pulled the plug out of the value of a piece of real estate by taking away its ability to be used as a tax deduction. So everybody had bought real estate at the time to use them as tax deductions. And they took that write-off away. And when they took the write-off away, the value of real estate crashed and created a massive recession. So now we look back at that and we say, well, what does that have to do with what's going on now? Well... We're in a situation right now where people are buying assets, big assets, large apartment complexes, expensive homes, massive amounts of real estate as a hedge. And what are they hedging? They're hedging inflation. Because real estate is an inflation-hedged asset. It goes up when everything else goes up. Now, the reason why real estate is so good as a hedge is because unlike gold, which may go up and down with the the value as inflation occurs, it doesn't put off any income. And so real estate is producing income. It's producing rental income for the people that are doing it the right way. So whether or not my asset goes up or whether it doesn't, 
I'm hedged because I'm going to get income either way. Now, if there's massive inflation, then my asset keeps up with inflation. If there's not massive inflation, or even if there's a recession, whereas the real estate values go down, I can keep my real estate and rent it and make money with it. Now, the people that didn't and couldn't do that before were either not renting their properties, or they had purchased them for such a high price that they would not cash flow, even if the rents, you know, if if the rents had in any way, shape, or form gone down any amount. Now, I've lived through rent reductions. We had a, you know situations like that over the last thirty years, but I've never seen a rent reduction that was so low that I couldn't pay the mortgage payment on my property. Now, I've seen people had vacancies that were so high they couldn't pay a mortgage payment on their property, but that's because they don't live by the rule, best product, best price. They have a really, really poor piece of rental property in bad repair, terrible condition. They don't maintain it, and so people don't want to live there. And when it gets where the market is soft at all, those bottom units, those bottom pieces of real estate, uh, what we used to call Class D properties, which they don't even call them that anymore because there's hardly very many of them left anymore, uh, we was, those places would go empty because people could afford to move up into a little bit better property now as the rents came down. And the people who didn't have any money, were broke, would move into those properties, and those people couldn't collect any rent. So the Class D property was really a slum is what it became. And had to be a slumlord to own it because it never would have got down to being a Class D unless a slumlord owned it and allowed it to go down to being a Class D. So we look at this situation, we say, well, is that going to happen again? And you then have to reverse the course of the conversation completely to the other end of the stick and go, well, what's going on with real estate? Because, yeah, we see inflation occurring, but what's going on with real estate? And then you get to this other article that I came across, and it's called, Will the U.S. Housing Shortage Get Worse? And this article contends that before we see the value of real estate going down again, we're going to see it go up much, much more. And they're contending it on a group of facts that prove out that there is a shortage now, and they believe even larger shortage in the future. You know, you're sitting there and you think about, how do I qualify to buy a home for myself? How do I qualify? Well, I have to have the down payment, which is going to be 20%, unless you get into some governmental program where you can get less down, but you get in for 20% down of a price. Well, when I first started buying real estate, the price for the houses I was buying was $25,000 a house. The median income for a home today is well into the 300000 $350,000 a house. Um, it's just unbelievable, right? So let's just say it's 300000 for easy math. 25% or 20% of 300000 is $60,000. Now, the average age of a home buyer is around, for the first home buyer, I'm sorry, for a first home buyer is around 34 years of age. 33, 34 years of age. That's when the average person buys their first home. I know one of our children uh, is buying their first home, and they're in that age group. Uh, Another one is still renting but would like to buy is in that age group. But the problem is the one that's buying is buying from grandma. And grandma is allowing them to buy it on a contract, 
allowing them to pay payments to her. And so they don't have to go out and get the down payment money. They don't have to go out and get a loan, get a mortgage, and so on and so forth. They're just going to buy it from grandma. Now, the other one can't afford to buy one, as the point that he made was, for what I could afford to buy a house, I couldn't afford to live in the house I, I live in now. In other words, he can rent cheaper than he can buy, and he wouldn't want to go down and buy something that was less than what he's used to living in. So you have a conundrum there, right? And every time you think, okay, now I'm doing a little bit better, now I've saved a little bit more money, so I have enough for a down payment, and the house goes up 24% in one year, which is 48% in two years. How do you, how do you ever buy a home? I don't see how it happens. It's just mind-boggling, right? You also have to be able to cover the debt coverage, which means you afford the mortgage payment. And if the price is going up 24%, then the mortgage is going up 24% a year higher, and the mortgage payment's higher. So how do you afford that? It gets to be insane. So over the last couple of years, over the last maybe three or four years, before COVID, interest rates had gotten so low that new home sales were higher than they'd ever been. They were just blowing and going, blowing and going, blowing and going. And it got to the point here and now where you're hearing stories about people offering bids for homes that are above list price. And I'm making this number up, but I just remember off the top of my head, something like 25% of all homes being sold were being sold above list price. There's a bidding war going on out there, meaning there's no supply. Now, throw in COVID and make that supply go down even more. Why? One, no labor. Nothing's getting done. Nothing getting built. And two, the cost of materials has skyrocketed. In some cases, I think lumber was up like 70%. So you, you couldn't afford to build the house for the price that you originally said you'd build it for. So they just didn't build them. And so construction went down. But even with that, with prices going up, with COVID, with people losing their jobs, with all that, they still sold more houses than they had in the last 12 years, last year. So you think, that just doesn't make sense. You've sold more than you've sold in the last 12 years, yet you're selling less because COVID is destroying your ability to sell, to build, to produce, to supply. Supply side of the curve is destroyed. So what happens? It's only one thing can happen. Price has got to go up. There's more demand than there is supply. Price has got to go up and keep going up until you can squash demand. So they talked about demand. And they're talking about a group of people called the millennials. And now there's 72 million millennials. And over the next five years, 4.8 million new households will be created out of the millennials. Now, what do they mean by that? What do they mean? Either they'll get married and go buy a new home together, or move into an apartment together, or they'll move away from their parents who've been living with their parents, and finally the parents will kick them out, or they'll get tired of living with their parents, and they'll go form a new household. Or they may just decide... um, they want to move out if they want to get married. If they're going to create a new household, basically what I'm trying to get to. In a, but the new household scenario is a point that they're making that 4.8 million new households will be created. And yet, with the highest production of housing 
being created in the last 12 years, which was only 912,000 new homes, how are we going to supply the 5.4 million new households? Or I'm sorry, 4.8 new million households. That's, that's a problem with details and facts. They get all messy after a while. But when you look at those numbers, they don't work. They simply don't work. Especially especially if you believe that the, the supply side of the equation is broken. In other words, if inflation, and this is where we get back to that inflation thing, if inflation is rising the cost of building materials, where does that stop? If it costs more to build a house, then it's got to cost more to sell the house, and it's going to cost more to buy it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Where does the cycle end? The bidding goes up, prices get higher, people can't afford, there's more demand. Hmm. So where does that all lead to? Well, here's where it's led to up till now. At this point, the average rent in the U.S. is $1,480 no, $1, a month. That's the average rent. The average home mortgage is $1,931. That's a $451 gap between rent and the cost of housing. We'll be right back with the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Wamsley on the economy and politics. What happens if the economy turns around and goes back down now the Democrats are in power or inflation becomes rampant and all of a sudden it becomes very difficult to do business? I was listening to an economist the other day and he pulled out this chart of GDP. He said, look, here's what I want you to do. He said, tell me anywhere from 1950 to 2021 where the Democrats took power and where the Republicans took power. He said, point it out for me. And the truth of the matter is you can't tell. If you're sitting on the sidelines waiting to see what the politicians are going to do or waiting to see what the economy is going to do, if you're trying to predict the future, stop. Politicians and the economy have no bearing on your success or failure. Only you do. Register for the next live online free workshop. We'll unfold the map to retirement in five years or less, regardless of what's going on in the world. It's the same proven strategies we've been using for 30 years through every political party and economic cycle you can think of. Register at lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. Welcome back. Now, here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America, one person at a time, Del Wamsley. Welcome back to Del Wamsley Radio Show. Today, we're talking about uh, housing, U.S. housing, and uh, the shortage we have now and how uh, Marcus Milchap uh, authorities believe that it's going to go even higher. The shortage is going to be even higher, that is. And as we got into discussion, you can't have a discussion about the increased value of housing and the shortage of housing without the, the secondary discussion of inflation as it goes along. But as I sit and I think about this for a minute, I just started thinking to myself, you know, here's a point that I probably haven't made clear enough. So I'm just going to stop in the middle of this discussion and make this very clear point. When I started buying real estate in 87, I bought a home, first home for $25,000. At that time, the median price was probably about $50,000. Now, the median price is three hundred and fifty dollars or higher, some places as much as four hundred. dollars So I just took 
and made a little short analysis here and found that if you take the the 25,000 I paid into a $350,000 median value now that's a 1400% increase. If you look at the fact that I didn't have to buy it and pay all cash for it, I only had to put down $2,000, that makes it a 1625% increase. And then I, what I was rationalizing this to is what did gold do over that period of time? If gold is really the best hedge against inflation, what did gold do over that time? So while we went to break, I just looked it up. In 1987, gold was selling for $976 an ounce. Now today, it's selling for $1,799 an ounce. So that is a hedge against inflation, but that is a 180% increase. 180, think of that number, compared to 1,400%. 180, less than 200, compared to 1,400, which would be seven times as much if it had even a 200% increase. Seven times more, eight times more than gold as a inflation hedge. Yet at the same time, if you think about this, if you have just an average rental increase or rental income of $400 a month, and I'm doing some quick math here really quick, and take $400 a month positive cash flow times 12, that's $4,800 a year. And that's 23 years ago times 23. That'd be $110,000 worth of cash flow, positive cash flow, plus the fact you would have paid the mortgage off by then. So you'd have the house, the value of the house. Whereas gold, you paid cash for it all up front. There's no mortgage reduction. There's no rental income. There's no tax savings on that value. There's nothing. Not even close. So for all you out there that keep saying to yourselves, well, I need gold, for whatever reason you think you need gold, you don't. You need real estate. That's the reality. Gold is a rock. It's useless. It's meaningless. If you had gold at your house and we had massive inflation and massive, massive uh, turmoil in our society, you would be willing to give me all of your gold to buy my lead that I keep in my house. Now, my lead basically is bullets. And bullets are more valuable than gold. If you want to hold on to something that has value, hold on to bullets. Because when it comes time to get gold, you can't defend your gold with gold, but you can defend your bullets with bullets, and you can get your gold with bullets. Now, I'm not saying go out there and be an armed citizen and whatever else you might want to make out of that little term. I'm just making a joke about the fact that people think gold is so valuable. I don't know what you think you're going to do. How are you going to go get your gold if ever there's a recession? You own gold coupons somewhere. Where, how are you going to get the coupons? They'll just make the coupons worth nothing. They won't be worth the paper that they're written on. So the only way you physically would have gold is if you physically had gold at your house. And like I said, you can't take a bar of gold down to the gas station to buy gas with it. It's not going to work. Let's get back to where we're at. Housing costs. So housing costs are up 24.4% a year. In a year. What does that do? Well, let's talk about what that does. When I first started getting into rental real estate, the average vacancies were somewhere around 13 to 20%. You know, there's always vacancy. And that was one of the things that people feared about real estate, there was vacancy. What I'm seeing right now is both by the numbers that Marcus Milchap said, which they said the vacancy is now at nationally 3.8%. When I drive around looking at properties I'm trying to buy, it's that low. Most people I talk to, lifestyles, 
their vacancies that low. In fact, I saw a property the other day that had 7% vacancy, and I kind of thought, man, you're a terrible operator. And and that was somebody I was looking at buying. I thought that might be a good opportunity to buy this. Did they mess it up? They have vacancy. Because nobody has vacancy anymore. What is it doing for the value of real estate? Well, cap rates are going down. The average is 5.1%, but that, they said, was during the end of COVID year. And that's the stuff that's sold. That's history. I see stuff selling for more like 4.5, 4 4.75% cap rates. That's what I see stuff on the market for. They maybe aren't getting it. I'm not sure. But that's surely what they believe it's worth. So you're seeing the cost of real estate go up. You're seeing the rental income from real estate go up. But you're seeing interest rates go down. So why is that? Because the only way you can afford to spend more for real estate and keep the price rising is if you can get cheap enough money to make it cash flow. Because why? The banks won't lend you if it doesn't cash flow. So they're either going to have to continue to lower the interest rate or they're going to have to start raising the amount of down payments. Now, there was a time when you could borrow 90% of an apartment. That's gone. you got to put at least 20% down now. In many cases, they're asking for 30% down now because that's the only way you get to the point where the debt is low enough that you can afford to pay it. The other thing they're doing besides lowering interest rates is they're going interest-only payments, which means the payment's smaller because you don't have to pay any of the principal for the first year or two or three, just interest-only. That's just to get the, the payment down smaller so that you can afford the payment with the higher price that you're paying. So these things are consistently changing for the betterment or the worse of people. And that's the problem. That's the whole conversation that we want to have. Is it for the betterment? Is it for worse? Is it a problem that everything's getting expensive? And if you listen to the Fed, the Fed is saying, yes, it is a problem. Inflation should not be more than 2% a year, not 24% a year, should not be more than 2% a year. And you look at the other side of it, you look what, not what the Fed is doing. They're lowering interest rates so stuff can keep going up in price, yet they're complaining that there's too much inflation. And then you've got the government throwing trillions of dollars of stimulus package out. Six trillion dollars in one package. They have another package. I think is another six trillion they want to throw out. No, they haven't passed it, but they're throwing it. It's going. The first part of it's already out there, and it's creating massive inflation. So we come down to this last final question you have to ask yourself, and that is, will people be able to afford to buy houses in the near future? And I think if you use any logic at all, you see they're not going to be able to because it's going to be too expensive. Now, let's throw on top of that, the Fed decides that, wait, we can't have this rampant inflation. Right now, they're saying, they're singing the tune that, well, we think it's only because of all the pent-up non-buying during COVID, period, and now it's all coming back, and all this pent-up buying is out there, like travel, for instance. Uh, people are traveling by air to where they're, I heard today on the radio that um, there's gas shortages for airline fuel and so forth because of people coming back after COVID, wanted to go visit people they haven't seen in a long time, go on trips that they haven't taken in a long time. So with that happening, with that inflation occurring, will the Fed raise interest rates? Hmm. They don't want to, but they may be forced to. You see that the government is 
looking at more stimulus packages, that's only going to make things worse. So who's the only person that can slow this thing down? If the government doesn't stop spending, which I don't think they can politically, then the Fed is going to have to raise interest rates. Now, let's go back to the housing situation again. Massive demand, unpent up, unsatisfied demand. Everything we said, everything they brought up, proves the point that there's not enough housing being built to satisfy the numbers of people that are going to be coming of age to want to buy a home. So you have, you know, demographics-wise, an overburdening. You have low supply and cost of materials burdening the cost of homes, making them go up. So we have a supply and demand curve problem, and we have, well, I'm sorry, that's both. We have the supply problem, and we have a demand problem. We have too much demand and very little supply that's creating the problem. Now, you take and you add in there interest rates, which could be the disaster point of everything. Think about it. If you can barely, if, if a millennial can barely afford to buy a home today, now raise the interest rates. I mean, we're talking about people buying homes with 2 to 3% interest rates. That's giving money away free. What happens if interest rates just go back up to 5 again? Now, you have to realize, when I first got in real estate, interest rates were 12%. When they went down to 9%, I thought that was free money almost. When they went down to 8 you could buy anything. Everything was cheap when 8 interest rates. Then went down to 6 we refied everything we owned, and we were getting free money from that point forward. Then it went down to 5 and then to 4 and then to 3 And you just go, what is going on? Now, people have been on that low-cost money for so long, I don't think they even know how to underwrite a deal if interest rates go back up to 5 I think that's going to change everything. And for people trying to buy a home, it will virtually knock them out of the ability to buy or purchase a new home for themselves. So what does that do? Well, if people can't buy these things, except investors who are already rich can afford to buy them, everything will have to turn to the rental market. And what's going to happen to rents? They're going to go higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. The higher the rents are, the more income an apartment can produce, the more an investor can pay for that apartment and still be able to get funding for it. Because the interest rates, or even if they've gone up, will be offset by the fact that rents have gone up. And so more and more and more real estate will be owned by investors, and less and less and less real estate will be owned by homeowners. Think about that. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer. Now, there are stuff out there, very expensive stuff, that's $200,000, or even. But just for the stuff I'm buying, you know, 10-year-old properties are going for $180,000 a door. Now, I thought about that for a second. My wife saw this, and we talked, and she goes, but we, we only paid $123,000. Shouldn't we sell? And I said, honey, the one thing I've learned over 30 years of doing this is that you sell, you lose. You should always hold on to your property and buy more. Because it just keeps going up in value. And every time you sell, you let somebody else take that game. Now, granted, when you first start, there are some times when you want to sell because you want to change types of properties you're buying. 
or you want to get out of single-family houses and go to multifamily, you got to sell to do that. Or you want to go from you know, 40- or 50-year-old construction to 30-year-old to 20 to 10. You want to get the new stuff, then you probably got to sell that older stuff to get enough money to buy the newer stuff. But other than that, just selling to take a gain isn't going to work anymore. And so, my friends, is there a housing shortage? The answer is yes. Will there be more of a housing shortage next year? The answer is yes. Will the prices of real estate continue to go up? The answer is yes. Until they change the interest rate. Keep your eyes open. Watch the Fed. Pay attention. But remember, as you buy and hold, we're not doing this for a little more money. We're doing it for a lifestyle. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, teaching you the opposite of everything you've been taught so you can obtain the results you've never obtained. Join us seven days a week. Can't get enough? Visit DellOnTheRadio.com to listen to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, access past show podcasts, and join the conversation. The information and opinions you hear on the Del Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Del Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Del Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Del Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.